Alrighty, guys, you're not quite done with me yet. I have a few announcements to make. First, I want to get a what what for shorts weather. Yep, yep, it's here. It's back, baby. Um, 50 degree, I was telling Liz before the service, anything 50 degrees or more, shorts are coming out. Uh, first couple of things, in your program, we've got Kid City News. Uh, there was the online bookmark, and the bookmark is also online. Um, you can look up in the Restore Church app, which you can find in the App Store or Google Play. Since I'm an Android user, I'll throw the Google Play in there. Um, you can find the Restore Church app by either searching We Are Restore or We Are Restore eChurch in the App Store. Um, we would love to hear from you and pray for you. So if you're new or have had something pop up in your life recently or had big changes or anything, we want to know about it and we would love to pray for you. So any way that you want to submit that, whether it's through the connection cards in the back or on and through the app, uh, would be fantastic. Um, also, if you would like to financially re uh, support Restore, uh, you can give online or also uh, there's a treasure chest in the back that you can also give to. Um, you, and obviously through online, you can also set up one-time payments or reoccurring payments. So um, we humbly ask that you would uh, support what we're doing here at Restore. Um, also, there's a new Bible study gathering starting this week. It's open to both men and women. Actually, nope, that's a copy and paste. I apologize. Um, Zach Stein has actually been leading the Bible study for, Zach, how many weeks now? Three or four weeks? Yeah. Um, so Zach is leading the Bible study on Ezra and Nehemiah in the living room. And it will be running from 7.30 to 9 on Tuesday evenings. So if you have any questions, hit Zach up. I uh, would love to see you guys there. And last but not least, we are running a, another mission trip to Greece uh, this coming August. So uh, that would be August 8th through 15th. Uh, we're running with our sister church in Baltimore, the Foundry Church. So we'd love to to have you jump on that trip with us. Uh, fill it out on the Connect card or talk to Aaron for more information. Um, and I believe that's it. Um, yeah. So thanks for listening to me for a little bit longer. And now Aaron's going to talk some more. Ian is coming on staff April 1st. We are excited about that. All right, we continue our season of uh, Lent. Season on the church calendar where we get to um, acknowledge the, the death of Jesus Christ. Um, it's the 40 days leading up to the crucifixion where we have, a, we have this opportunity to oh, empathize, tap into the, to what the, the mental, spiritual, and physical toll must have been like for Christ to leave heaven, uh, not only spend 40 days fasting in the wilderness, but then knowing that the crucifixion was uh, imminent, what that would be like uh, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And so it's a season on the church calendar that is designed to decenter us, to kind of break our faith down. And then the resurrection is meant to raise us back up and to piece us back together. So each year we get to kind of shake loose from our comfort zones. And for this season, to embrace the hard parts of uh, our faith, we uh, we specifically wanted to do a teaching series on the hard questions of God, Christ, the church, the Holy Spirit, our faith. And so the last few weeks, um, we have spoken on, or I've spoken on some particularly difficult questions. Uh, the first week, we talked about why is there so much suffering and injustice in the world? The second week, why have Christians done so much harm? And then the last week, we talked about why believe in God? Like, what's the point? Um, 
Let me tell you, it's been real fun to think through those questions mentally and emotionally uh, the last three or four weeks. And today we get to talk about hell, everybody's favorite subject. Um, Questions like, what is hell? Does it exist? How could a loving God send people there? Uh, Again, just a really pleasant um, experience. But that's Lent. It's designed to kind of shake, shake things up. And it's good that we follow a God who lets us ask hard questions, who is not, there is nothing in scripture that, that shows us that God is afraid of our doubts. Like, like, he's like, bring them on, ask questions. And again, a great resource that I've been using for this series is a book called Letters from a Skeptic by Greg Boyd. It's a series of letters him and his dad wrote back and forth to each other. Greg's a theologian. His dad was an atheist. His dad actually ended up becoming a Christian through this exercise. Greg wrote a book about it and recorded all of the, this correspondence. But before diving into such a heavy, uh, nuanced topic, uh, we need to begin with a laugh. And I just saw something on YouTube that I wanted to share with you guys this week. So this uh, Rowan Atkinson is going to induce hell. Hello. It's nice to see you all here. Now, as the more perceptive of you have probably realized by now, this is hell. (laughs) And I am the devil. Good evening. <laughs> but you can call me Toby, if you like. We, we try to keep things informal here, as well as infernal. <laughs> That's just my little joke. <laughs> now, you're all here for eternity, <laughs> which I hardly need tell you is a heck of a long time. Uh, but I'm, so I'm sure you'll all get to know each other pretty well by the end. But for now, I'm going to have to divide you up into groups. If that's okay. Can you hear me at the rack? <laughs> well, if you'd stop screaming, that would help. Okay. Now, murderers. Murderers. Over, over here, please. Thank you very much indeed. Looters and pillagers, over here, please. Thieves, if you could join us, and lawyers, you're in that one. You'd like to come down there. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, yes, there's plenty of room. If the hedge fund managers would just move along a tiny bit. There we go. Fornicators, if you could step forward. My God, there are a lot of you. Uh, you're down here, but first, if you could form a queue in front of that small guillotine in the corner. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. The French. Are you here? Parfait. And the Americans. Yes, look, I'm sorry about this. Apparently, God had little falling out with your founding fathers and damned the entire nation in perpetuity. Uh, He sends particular condolences to the Mormons, who he realizes put in an awful lot of work. Um, Never mind, if you'd just like to come down here. Yes, if you'd just like to keep clear of that big space there, we're reserving for a Mr. Trump. Atheists, atheists, 
You must be feeling a right bunch of nitwits. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. <laughs> um, it's okay to have a little levity in the middle of Lent and uh, the season of lament. So let's dive into this. What is hell? Does it exist? How could a loving God send people to hell? So we, I need to start with some assumptions because you're going to get getting a lot of subjectivity. So what is the framework uh, that we're going to present these, answer these questions through? So there's a few things. Um, you may not agree with them. You, you, you might, but it's fair for you to know, like, what's the lens we're looking at these questions through? So the first one is, I believe in the scriptures, or what is now called the Bible. There are parts of it I don't understand. There are parts of it that are seeming, like, seem like paradoxes. Uh, parts of it that seem irrational. There are parts of it that just flat out rub against the instincts that I have in my mind and my heart. But if it lined up with everything I thought it should say, then I would really doubt its veracity and I would be suspicious of it. I would challenge those of you Christians in the room to remember that scripture, God, Jesus, and the spirit don't submit to us. We submit to them. So that is one framework we're looking through. Another piece of the framework is I believe God is revealed in Jesus Christ. I believe there's no path to God outside of Christ. Uh, I didn't say this. Jesus did. Uh, among other people, like the, the Nicene Council that met in the, the early part of church history, um, affirmed this as an orthodox belief of Christianity. And then additionally, I also believe, because it's in Scripture, <clears throat> there are people who didn't know Jesus who are nevertheless saved by him. All right, so like in Hebrews 11, there's a long explanation of mentioning people like Abraham and Noah, people who lived and died before Jesus came, didn't know him, but Hebrews 11.40 says, together with us would they be made perfect. They're in. They're part of his kingdom. So those, that's a few bits of framework before we dive in here today. So what does scripture and Jesus reveal about hell? Like, does it exist? What's it like? So we're not going to go through every scripture in the Bible, but I did grab uh, six or seven here that give us description of what hell is like. Jesus mentions in Matthew chapter 13, verse 50, that it's like a blazing furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth is a, is a phrase that means anger. And then Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, eternal punishment. And then Mark 9, verse 43, place where the fire never goes out. But in 2 Peter 2, 4, it says it's a place of darkness. And then in Revelation 20, 14, it's described as a lake of fire. But in Genesis 37, it's described as a grave. And in 1 Samuel 2, 6, it's described as a pit. So what we have here are a lot of metaphors. After all, how could hell be a place of fire, but also be a place of darkness? How could it be a lake or a pit? Like, which is it? And this is where biblical uh, literalists lose their way. All right, when they start taking this stuff, like this is actually exactly what it's like literally. The Bible contradicts itself, and they need to understand the Eastern habit of using lots of metaphor, all right, uh, of what it's like to spend in an eternity away from God. And I use that phrase, that word away because in Greek, <clears throat> which is the language of the New Testament, the word Gehenna is what is used to describe hell. And Gehenna was an actual place. All right? It was a valley outside the city of Jerusalem. 
Uh, it was the city's dump. And when we reading the New Testament, uh, we have to keep in mind that Jewish believers uh, had a temple mindset. So although Jesus came to redefine this belief and this practice, Jews instinctively thought of the temple as the dwelling place for God. Like if you wanted to encounter God and be near him, you had to go to the temple. That's what they believed. The temple was in the city. Gehenna was outside of the city. All right, it was in a valley, uh, metaphorically away from God. So I'm going to show you a map of Jerusalem. There's a little red square. That's in the city, and that is where the temple is located. And then on the bottom left, outside of the city walls, you see the valley of, I think it's Gehenon, which is Hebrew, and then in Greek, it's Gehenna. Uh, and that's where, um, that's what they're talking about when it's outside of the city and when they use the word hell, uh, when you see the word hell in English in, in the translations we have now, it's talking about Gehenna. So centuries before Jesus even came on the scene, um, there are instances referenced in scripture of the Valley of Gehenna where evil kings who were worshiping false gods would commit human sacrifice, specifically child sacrifice. So for centuries, Gehenna, uh, this place was at best a dump and at worst a place where horrible, horrible evil happened. Human sacrifices occurred. So you get the point. It's not a good place. So the point Jesus and the writers make in scripture, when the human being is away from God, outside of his creation and will, it's a painful place to be. It's a place that begins now. Like hell is not some distant eternity. All right. Satan is referred to as the prince of this world. It is occurring around us and amidst us. And this is a major point of understanding of hell. Is, um, it is experiencing God away from his intended order, order and beauty, and it can happen now. And some people choose it. Some people are affected by it. But I'm sure we can all think of current examples of hell on earth, whether it be personal, like actually happened in our lives or happening, or we might see it in other places, like in our culture, uh, news headlines, um, tragic events like what happened in New Zealand last week. Uh, I saw this picture last night and it reminded me people who appear to be experiencing heaven on earth, like everything's going well, are probably still experiencing hell. Like someone, uh, I mean, how often do we encounter people who have a smile on their face, but we don't know what's going on inside their mind or their hearts and what kind of brokenness they've experienced in their past, what kind of hell they've experienced on earth. So it's a place where the pain and the brokenness is tangible um, whether it's a miscarriage, a life suddenly lost, a strained or broken relationship, this is not how God intended our reality to be. And Greg Boyd sums it up well. He says, hell is the ultimate destiny of people who freely choose to live a life God never intended for them. Another video I want to uh, introduce you to is just a quick three-minute video from perhaps the, the world's foremost New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, and he talks about hell. So I don't want to be the only one who talks about it today. So here's N.T. Wright. The word hell has had a checkered career in the history of the church. And it wasn't hugely important in the early days. It was important, but not nearly as important as it became in the Middle Ages. And in the Middle Ages, you get this polarization of heaven over here and hell over there. And you've got to go to one place or the other eventually. So you have the Sistine Chapel um, with that great thing behind the altar, this enormous great judgment scene with the, the souls going off in these different directions. Very interestingly, I was sitting in the Sistine Chapel just a few weeks ago. I was sitting for a service, and I was sitting next to a Greek Orthodox Archimandrite 
who said to me, looking at the pictures of Jesus on one wall, he said, these I can understand. And the pictures of Moses on the other wall, he said, those I can understand. Then he pointed at the end wall, the judgment. He said, that I cannot understand. He said, that's how you in the West have talked about judgment and heaven and hell. He said, we have never done it that way because the Bible doesn't do it that way. I thought, whoops, I think he's right, actually. And whether you're Catholic or Protestant, that scenario which is etched into the consciousness of Western Christianity really has to be shaken about a bit. Because if heaven and earth are to join together, it's not a matter of leaving earth and going to heaven. It's heaven and earth being joined together. And then hell is what happens when human beings say to the God in whose image they were made, we don't want to worship you. We don't want our human life to be shaped by worshipping you. We don't want our, who we are as humans to be transformed by the love of Jesus dying and rising for us. We don't want any of that. We want to stay as we are and do our own thing. And if you do that, what you're saying is you want to stop being an image-bearing human being within this good world that God has made and you are colluding with your own progressive dehumanization and that is such a shocking and horrible thing that it's not surprising that again the <coughs> biblical writers and others have used very vivid and terrifying language about it but many people have again picked that up and said this is a literal description of reality and somewhere down there there is a, a lake of fire and it's got worms in it and it's got serpents and, and demons and, and they're, they're coming to get you. And I think actually the reality is more sober and sad than that which is this progressive shrinking of human life. And that happens during this life but it seems to me if somebody resolutely says to God I, I'm not going to worship you and it's not just not coming to church it's a matter of deep down somewhere there is a rejection of the good creator God, then that is the choice that humans make. In other words, I think human choices in this life really matter. We're not just playing a game of chess where tomorrow morning God will put the pieces back on the board and say, okay, that was just a game, now we're doing something different. Um, the choices we make here really do matter. I, there's part of me that would love to be a universalist and say, it'll be all right, everyone will get there in the end. Um, I actually think the choices we make in the present are more important than that. We could have just watched that three minutes and called it a day. Um, he mentions universalism at the end. Uh, I'm going to come back to that later. Uh, hell can begin now. And for those who choose life away from God, I agree with him. Um, scripture shows us that it progressively worsens during this life and then even in the afterlife. So does God send people to hell? If so, how is that loving? In 2 Peter verse 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. doesn't say some, doesn't say most, everyone to come to repentance. And then Ezekiel 18.23, I take no delight in the destruction of the wicked. John 3.19, people loved darkness instead of light. Hell is where they want to be, not where God wants them to be. All right, if you want to get drunk on individualism, okay. God's like, I can't stop you because I'm not a puppet master. All right, I love you. I'm your father. All right, and then again, Greg Boyd sums this up well. He says, now God, to be sure, allows these people to go to hell, but he does it by giving such people their own way. Read, read Romans 1, 20 through 32 carefully. Here Paul says three times about the reprobate Romans that get, God gave them over to what they wanted to do. 
God's judgment is giving the sinners their own way. When a person's heart is beyond hope, remember, we become the decisions that we make. God finally leaves them alone. Go your own way, he says. And in saying this, he casts them into hell. God allows them to become eternalized in their self-creation. God doesn't want people to be away from him for eternity. He's not the one choosing or sending. People are. People choose to walk away from his presence. So um, that's hard to hear, but as my favorite professor says, I think like 95% of people are getting in. Like he says that with a, a smile, and I'm like, yeah, I think he's right. Like I think a lot of people believe in God and believe in Christ. Uh, but what about people who haven't heard about Christ? How does, what does hell mean to them? And I, we kind of covered this earlier. I believe in the God that rescued Noah and Abraham and others. And I believe in the God that wants no one to perish and loves humanity unconditionally. But this shouldn't lessen uh, our sense of urgency to share people or share Christ with other people. There is no guarantee in the Bible that people living in this age after Christ's birth will be with him in heaven. Doesn't mean it's not possible which I'm about to get to, but we should urgently want to share the love of Christ with other people. So another big question that we didn't ask earlier, but it's really tied to this, is do people have a chance for heaven after death? Like what are the most popular perspectives on this question within the Christian faith? And there are three major perspectives um, that Christians have. And we could spend weeks deep diving into each one of these because and, and searching out the differences between the viewpoints, the commonalities, uh, the scriptural precedent that they subscribe to in order to come to their conclusions. And we're talking about these three perspectives. The theological term is eschatology, uh, the afterlife. All right, think of, I'm not a musician, but I, I'm pretty sure there are six strings on a guitar, sometimes 12. Eschatology is one string on the guitar, of, of our theology, of understanding God. There is more to it than just this. So I want, I want to preface this bef- before we dive into it. Like, this is not everything. This is just like one string, and then there are three different parts to it, um, perspectives to it that people could have. So that said, um, I've studied this perspective, like all of these different perspectives uh, in light of Scripture, Christ, Orthodox beliefs of Christianity, and at this point in my theological journey, I think each, pre- each perspective can actually present a really strong case. I don't see, um, I see weaknesses and strengths in each one. And I myself am still searching. Like, I'm not going to share these perspectives and say, that's the right one. I don't know. So we'll just share all three and let's see what the Spirit reveals. So number one is called traditionalism. And it sounds just like the word says. It's the traditional viewpoint that if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard. All right, one of some of the aspects of traditionalism, everyone lives forever. There are two options, all right? There's heaven or hell for eternity, and you're going to be in one, according to this perspective. Hell is a place of permanent, eternal suffering for those separated from God. That is a very popular perspective, particularly in evangelical America. All right, number two is conditionalism. Uh, There's a difference here. Not everyone lives forever. There are two options. There's heaven for eternity or the end of existence uh, marked by death, and that is the hell people experience. It's like your life is over. 
You don't get to be with God, God for eternity. People separated from God are destroyed permanently by death rather than experience eternal suffering. Um, Satan and demons, now there are some people, some conditionalists that believe that Satan and demons live in a permanent eternal state of torment, but humans do not. And then number three, universalism. Uh, what universalists believe is that everyone lives forever. Hell is a temporary place of refinement that leads to an eternal place of restoration, heaven. All right, people separated from God are refined in the afterlife and ultimately saved for eternity. So what I, I just boiled down three very serious, very major perspectives in like three minutes. So I didn't do them justice, but those are some of the main bullet points. Um, if you want to dive into this further, you can email me. I could give you some like strong resources for each perspective so you can kind of do your own homework and, and dive into this a little bit more. But a few observations about these theories. Uh, it's an interesting note that many people who subscribe to one particular perspective usually demonize the other ones. All right, so like traditionalists usually demonize universalists, and universalists usually demonize the traditionalists. The conditionalists are cool; they're fine. No, I'm just kidding. But it like there's a tendency to tribalize, and if you don't agree with my perspective on this, you're wrong. And not only are you wrong, your eternal salvation is at stake. Like people just start like amping it up. I think that's really dangerous to do. And then the second part, it's got to be noted about universalism, <clears throat> a common error that is associated with universalism is that many Christians think universalists believe there is more than one path to God. Some universalists believe that, like Unitarian universalists. Christian universalists do not. They believe that Jesus is the only path to God. Their difference is in the afterlife of your chance to connect with God doesn't end in this life. There's a chance even after you die. That's what universalists believe. But they still all the Christian universalists I know, and that's not everybody, but they all believe in that one path to God is through Christ. So no matter what you believe about these three theories is where, where we find our common bond is in Christ, not, and not like our perspectives on heaven and hell. Um, our decisions, our lives now, who we love, serve, all this has permanent effects. All right. If you're a universalist, that doesn't give you the right to be a lazy evangelist. Like, ah, God's going to like figure it out after they die anyway. He's got them. I don't need to talk to him about Jesus. I don't need to pray with him. I don't need to walk through suffering with them. I don't need to introduce the love and the truth of Christ to them because God's that's, that's lazy. And that's, that, that doesn't let you off the hook. And then if you're a traditionalist, it doesn't mean you can just like hunker down and think to yourself, like I'm in, all right, I, I don't need to like share this with anybody else. It's their problem that they're going to hell. And we've all met people like that probably who just kind of like form their own little bubble. So we should have a sense of urgency. Just like hell can be experienced now, heaven can be experienced now. And this is where the good news is for all of us. Why, would, why wouldn't we have an urgent desire to share what Christ has offered to other people? Uh, and that is something we really want, I want to try to reignite in our church this year. So first, like the love, the truth, and the experience of Christ, we want that to be shared in our neighborhood collectives that we're going to be launching at the end of April. These gatherings will take, take place twice a month for a season of like seven to eight gatherings. It's a time for you to intentionally 
connect geographically and relationally with the people around you. And we're, we're hoping to launch four collectives this spring. Each collective, we're hoping we'll have three hosts, like three different households that will rotate the hosting. Content support will be provided by restore staff and pastors. And hosts simply host a meal, lead a conversation, and pray. When we see this happen in the Bible, those three characteristics always lead to people getting closer to Christ. Every time. Like you read the book of Luke, Jesus is either coming from a meal, going or at a meal, or leaving a meal. Like food, discussion, prayer, God moves. All right, you don't have to have some like polished delivery of like, okay, this is how I'm going to tell them about Jesus in 30 seconds. All right, if you, like that's just not how it works. All right, it's just sitting with people, inviting them to eat, to ponder life and its existence and who God is, and then pray over them. And that's what we hope neighborhood collectives will do. And then second, we have some new staff members. I mentioned Ian earlier. Um, he's going to be taking our living room environment next level. We wanted, we, we've been doing really cool stuff in there for the last few years. We want to amp it up a bit because we want more people to rub shoulders with others who are filled with the Holy Spirit. We want more people to know Christ and to experience his love. He's going to launch a student ministry. Liz Steele is going to be our Sunday environment team director. She's on staff. And we want this place... Um, Okay, so I gotta I gotta say, like last year we had some, or last week we had some visitors from our biggest supporting church over the last seven years, and they were really complimentary of our people afterwards. They're like everybody. I think everybody in the room came up and welcomed us. It was incredibly warm. Warm is not a problem for us, but we want this place to be magnetic. Like we want Sunday worship gatherings to be a place where if people are searching or they're curious, they're going to just be drawn. To the environments that we create on Sundays, and we and, and Liz and our team, we're gonna we need to step it up a notch in 2019. So all of this hell talk today, it gives us a chance to point people to heaven. All right, and we want to do this in multiple ways in 19. Maybe it means you go to Greece to serve refugees. All right, maybe that's another opportunity for you to bring some heaven to earth. But let's pray on this, and then we're gonna sing uh, one more song.